Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks, Brian, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. This is the ContenderCast, and I'm Justin Hahnemann. Our mission is simple, to shine a light on bright ideas. And if you didn't notice, we changed up the music coming into this episode for a reason. Uh, that song is called Saturday in the South, and it has a very, very um, interesting and cool connection with our guest today, Tony Barnhart. And um, we'll get into that shortly. But um, I am super excited. If you love college football or you think you might love college football. You have friends that love college football. You're going to love um, meeting Tony. So, Tony, thanks for joining us today. Justin, it's good to be with you. Yeah, so Tony and I have known each other now. I was trying to do the math this week. It's been at least eight to ten years. Yep. It's crazy. Um, we first met in a very unique way. I mentioned the song Saturday in the South, and I had written the song. Um, we had actually pitched it to uh, CBS Sports at the time, and Craig Silver was producing that. If any of you have watched the Saturday 3.30 SEC game of the week. Uh, you've probably heard that song. And well, we were going through all of that uh, process, and the song was getting posted. And then I met Tony. We were actually um, on the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year Award board together, and we still are to this day. So um, it's it's great to have you on. Well, it's great. It was a lot of fun doing uh, Saturdays in the South and uh, working with my good friend Craig Silver. And uh, spent spent eight years with CBS, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt. Well, um, we're going to do a couple things today. So we're obviously going to talk leadership, um, but, but we're also going to talk a lot about college football. And so, um, Tony, why don't we just start with, you know, a lot of people know you as Mr. College Football, um, but how did you get into this space and, and how did you become a writer and then, a, you know, an expert on college football? Well, what was interesting, uh, Justin, is, is I never had any kinds of dreams about being a sports writer or a media person or anything like that when I was growing up. I, I was a, I was going to be a high school football coach. I mean, I was a football player in high school. I, was, I told people I was, I was small, but I compensated by being exceedingly slow. And just, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to be coach football. But then I got into college and had sort of second thoughts about it. I realized how tough it was going to be to be a teacher and how little money they made and <laughs> on and on and on. And I got I got an opportunity to write for the student newspaper, and th- I started at Georgia Southern, so I got an opportunity to I write for the yeah I got, uh, to write for the student newspaper, and to see a byline for the first time, and I got hooked, and so I made a decision that I was going to go into journalism, and I called my mom to let her know I was going to transfer to Georgia and go to journalism school, and uh, nice, and she said, okay, son, if that's what you want to do, and it's. Uh, it has uh, turned out beyond anything I could have dreamed of. So you started off in writing, um, and and obviously, and actually, the first time I think I started reading your material was with the AJC, right? And then um, you know CBS Sports, SEC Network, ESPN. So how did some of that progress out of the initial writing and into some of these other mediums? Well, you know, one of the things we moved to Atlanta in '84 when I went to work for the AJC, and Mrs. Barnhart made it abundantly clear that we were not going to move again. Uh, we had moved. <laughs> from Greensboro, North Carolina, when I worked up there. And, and I knew if I was going to stay in Atlanta, which is, you know, where you want to be if, you, if you're going to cover college football, if that's what you want to do. No Atlanta, doubt. Georgia is the heart of place football. to be. But I, a lot of people have told me, says, look, you have, a, you have a pretty good voice. You need to try radio and television. And so I, I did. 
and tried it. You know, first of all, I was, uh, you know, I was going to say, well, no, no, I don't want to do television. I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a serious journalist. Okay. And I don't want and then they said, yeah, but they'll pay you. I went, oh, well, well I don't want to be hard headed about this. So I, I, I gave, uh, television a try. I did some, uh, DeKalb County where I lived. Uh, uh, had a local uh, cable access channel where they would do high school sports yep. and all that kind of stuff. And I gave, I gave that a try and I was absolutely awful. I was so, <laughs> did you think so, you were good? But, no, as soon as I saw it, I said, Oh my gosh, I am oh, awful. Boy. But it's like anything else. You learn how to do it. You learn sure. how to get comfortable with it. And from that opportunity, other opportunities came. And, uh, yeah, now, you know, the, the vast majority of what I do now is, is uh, television and radio. So give us, you know, talk through your year for us and, and, and that schedule. What does that look like today? Well, today uh, I just got back from doing SEC Media Days, uh, which I do for the SEC Network, and I also do for my own website, uh, TonyBarnhart.com. Uh, but my, my year, this, this is basically the start of my year. Uh, my, year my year runs from uh, July, on July 4th, my wife and I and family, we celebrate the Independence Day. I live in a little community called Dunwoody, and we have our own parade, and we, we celebrate <laughs> yep. that. It's a lot of fun. I think I've been to it before. And, all, and it's just tremendous. But at some point on July 4th, Maria, my wife, will look at me and say, summer's over, right? I said, yeah, summer's over. Right. I spend a week getting ready for the SEC media days, and then we're in Alabama for – four to five days and then we're off and running training camp's going to open here in about a week or so uh i get around to as many schools as i can in august and then the season starts and then the playoffs start and then we finish wow. up about mid-january and then there's recruiting and then there is spring football that takes us all the way through april right uh, may i've got spring meetings around uh, the sec and the acc yep take june off and July 5th, it starts all over again. Well, so you have about a month there of, of in-between time, I'll call it. That's yeah, J- June is always – ever since my daughter, who's an attorney, she, ever since she was a little girl, I set up my schedule to take June off, and we would do stuff together, ball games, tennis, right. swimming, all that kind of the stuff. So in the fall are very difficult with weekends and then throughout right. the week preparation. And I'm still doing it now my, with my granddaughter, who's five. So Well, and that, that's, that's awesome. And – um. Mr. College Football. So where did that come from? You know, I, I, it's funny. I've seen you now. We run into each other all different places, and everyone refers to you as that. So where did that even come from? I can't take any credit for that whatsoever. The reality is, is in is it 2006 or 2007, uh, the AJC was just starting to ramp up their Internet project, to the, the sports section online. Got it. And the the editor of that online effort was a guy by the name of Scott Peacock. And one day he came to me and says, Tony, we need something that's ex- exclusive to our website on the net. So we need you to start writing a blog. And I said, great. What's a blog? Right. And, <laughs> and the we guy, were just going to start an Internet he, he, site. He, he explained it to me. And I said, okay, so you want me to write something to get people to read it and start arguing amongst themselves online. They said, that's exactly it. I said, okay, I can do that. He said, but one thing we want to do, uh, we want to give it a name. Uh, We want to call it Mr. College Football. And I said, Scott, that's kind of cheesy, isn't it? He said, yeah, but cheesy works on the Internet. So Mr. College Football it was. 
That's it's stuck. Ever since. And when I left the AJC, I said, I'm sorry, I'm not giving it back. So, so <laughs> I love I, it. So I took it with me. And it's it, a and great it, brand. It, it has stuck ever since. I love it. Well, um, a lot of our listening audience are college football. Many of our, our, our audience are college football fans. And so why don't we talk about the sport, first of all? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when I think about growing up in, in Tallahassee, Florida with Bobby Bowden and Florida State Seminoles and thinking about that kind of program then versus where that program has come now, or even seeing Georgia Tech where I went or Georgia where you went, you know, come from a place the last maybe even 15, 20 years ago from a place that was an interesting sport to one that has just become massive in so many different ways. So where's the sport today and, and how has it changed from, from your purview? Well, it, it, let's start with how it's changed and where it's been. When, when, when I was growing up, college football was a very popular regional game. Everybody, it was a regional game. The people in the South cared about the SEC and the ACC. The people in the Midwest cared about the Big Ten. The people on the West Coast cared about the what was the Pac-8 at the time. Everybody was interested in their whole own little uh, territory. Still, the game was very popular. But that all changed, I maintain, with the advent of the, in 92, of the coalition, the alliance, and ultimately the BCS in 1998, particularly the BCS. What the BCS did for all the fussing and fuming and people people did about not liking the BCS, it changed college football from a good regional game to a national game. College sure. football became a national game because all of a sudden – you cared what was going on. If you were in the South, yep. if you are an SEC fan, you cared what was happening in the Big Ten because what was happening in the Big Ten had a direct impact on the ability of your favorite team to get to a championship game of some kind. No question. And with the standings and all that kind of stuff, again, a, West, a late West Coast game had an impact on who was going to be rated. So you paid attention, and you had people staying up to 2 or 3 in the morning because Stanford was playing in Hawaii. Right, and it no longer was just about the bowls. It was around this semi-playoff. Exactly, and now it it continues to grow as the popularity grows. And now I think you can safely say that college football is the number two sport in, in the United States behind the big NFL, who's the big dog, and everybody sure. understands that. Absolutely. But secondly, I think more so than Major League Baseball, more so than the NBA, college football uh, has just blown everybody away. So uh, you mentioned playoffs and the BCS and the current college football playoff, which Atlanta will be hosting here very mm-hmm. soon. Um, so I, where does that stand today, and do you feel – you know? That's going to continue to evolve, as you can imagine. There's a lot of chatter and has been around the whole idea of moving to more of a model that's followed by basketball, mm-hmm. with more teams being able to play into the actual playoff. What's your thought on that? Well, remember we started the BCS in 1998. Basically, it was a two-team playoff is what it was, and you used uh, computer formulas and all that stuff to pick the two teams. Then in 2014, the college football playoff came to be, which is a four-team playoff. 12-year contract. We're currently in the fourth year of that 12-year contract. I believe, based on the people that I talk to, now the fans in the media all want eight, and they want it to get there tomorrow. But (laughs) I'm telling you, the people that I talk to who run the sport, the commissioners, think four is the sweet spot. It's, It's better than two and better than eight because all kinds of problems come into being if if you go to eight. Now, having said all that, when we start getting towards the end of this 12-year contract, it will come up 
because the sure. people want well, it, it, there'll be more value to it, right. and, and it depends on what the number what the number on the table is when we get to. But I don't think we'll have a serious discussion until we get to year eight or nine of this current deal. Got it. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, and, and you know, playoffs are big money, and college football is big money, and mm-hmm. for a lot of schools, the revenue that's made from football is the primary revenue driver for the athletic department. And so how does that play out as, as it seems the, um, the trend is now to, we need more buildings. We mm-hmm. need to have better facilities. We need to um, increase our staff for recruiting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The expenses are rising. Pay is increasing for coaches. Budgets are rising. And therefore, Ticket sales are increasing, um, seat licenses are increasing, et cetera. So how are you seeing that play out? Because, because, um, I'm guessing the trend is, is not one that, you know, for some of the big schools, it works for some of the smaller schools, that could be a challenge. So what are you seeing in, um, from that perspective? Well, I, there's no question that we're, we're going through a building phase right now that, I mean, th- think about what's going on in South Carolina. They, they just completed their new indoor facility, which is beautiful. They just, and just, broke ground on a new $100 million football office complex. Uh, I've been to Kentucky. Kentucky two years ago moved into a $55 million. Kentucky for football, a $55 million office complex training facility and locker rooms connected to their – it's as nice as anything I've seen. Tennessee's extraordinary. Georgia is doing – uh, is doing a whole lot, and the the point is they're put they're putting this money in the facilities because it has a direct impact uh, on recruiting. So the challenge is, as costs continue to go, can you find the revenue streams? H- here's the key thing of how this thing has jumped so much. Three years ago, three years ago, every team in the SEC they set a record. Every team in the SEC got twenty million dollars in shared revenue. Wow! Right? From the 20, actual from from, conference. from 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 the conference, all the money that comes in on football bowls, basketball tournament licensing, all of that stuff goes to the SEC, and it is shared by each of the members. So, in the spring of twenty fourteen, every school in the conference got twenty million. So that means you you've 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 got a twenty million dollars head start on your budget wow. before you sell a ticket or do anything else. Then two things happen. The SEC network launched in August of twenty fourteen. The college football playoff launched the same year. Last year when they handed out the checks for the each of the SEC teams, each team got forty million dollars. Wow. That's that's a <laughs> that's double in less than three years because of those two events. So the question is, can you make, can you maintain that level of growth during the course of these contracts? Sure. And I mean, I'm guessing that if you're in another conference, D one football, I mean, you're not seeing that kind of income stream necessarily. And that could be a challenge in terms of just having the, the budget to be able to go out and do things. Well, the big 10 is there. The ACC is trying to get there. You know, they, they've, They've cut a deal with ESPN to launch their network in 2019, and that's why you're doing it. You're, you're sure. trying to increase all that overall revenue. Big 12 has fallen behind. Everybody knows that. Pac-12 has had some issues there. But there's there's no question that the SEC and the Big 10, from a financial standpoint, are ahead of everybody else. And from a recruiting perspective, have you seen the impact of – you know, it, how important is it to have those facilities, to have the, the staff, et cetera, from a recruiting perspective? It's, it's vital. It's vital because we, because listen, these guys and their parents or guardians, when the players, they comparison shop. 
They sure. look as it, well, coach, they've got this. Why don't you have this? And, uh, and you better, you better have it. You better have something like, you know, cause when, when you go through a facility like Tennessee's, I knew I was in a different, different time when they took me on a tour of the facility and they said, well, we want to take you to the dining hall. First of all, the dining hall is nicer. <laughs> this is not like most the dining hall when you and I went to college. Okay? <laughs> right. This is, this is an incredible facility. Sure. I said, but how do you get to the dining hall? They said, well, go down to the barber shop and turn right. So barber that's shop. when I, that's yes. when I knew we were in a different place. And now you've got to do all this because that's what your competitors are doing. Wow. That's unbelievable. Well, um, and you, you talk about recruiting, and, and of course, in one part of your year, it's talking or it's looking at recruits and their number of stars and their ratings and whatnot. How important are, are recruiting stats and facts going into the season? I, I, I place absolutely no value on it whatsoever. I, I am. I, I'm, I must confess to your to your audience here, Justin. I am the most. I am the most willfully ignorant person about recruiting as it gets because my, my philosophy has always been, look, the hype, I don't right. need the hype. Get, sign them, get them on campus, get them to practice, let me come look at them, okay? Right. And that's when it becomes real to me. Now, I do cover I do cover National Signing Day for the SEC Network. I'm sure. on campus. But that, to me, that's, that's the they've signed on the dotted line and they're actually coming. And to me, that's when you start. That's, that's when – now, I know fans get a – a kick out of it. And of they course. Like to, they like to say, well, we got this, we got a verbal commitment from <laughs> right. this five star and you didn't get him and all sure. that. That's, that is fine. But hype it, and excitement. It doesn't, right? it doesn't interest me until they sign and they get on campus. <laughs> can imagine. Well, um, you know, in addition to having great facilities and, and whatnot, of course, you've got to have the right leadership and the right mm-hmm. coaching staff. And, um, you've certainly been exposed to many. Um, so, from that perspective, what have you seen that, you know, when you meet a coach that really is making a positive impact or making a difference and, and able to take, you know, a group of young men and, and have them perform, what are the traits that you found in, in some of the best, I'll call them leaders, uh, in the football ranks? Well, they take a view, the great ones, the great coaches take a view, a holistic view of how they look at these players. They They realize that, Obviously, you must recruit very talented players. That that is a given. But you also need to take those guys and develop them as human beings, develop them as students. Nick Saban uses a phrase with his guys: "When you're here, you want to create value for yourself. That means doing what you got to do on the field, doing what you have to do off the field." So that when the day when when football does end and it ends for everybody, that you'll be prepared to add value to to who you are and what you sure. can do. And I think Coach Saban does a very very good job of that. Because let's face it, he is able to convince elite athletes to come to Alabama, knowing there are three elite athletes at his position already. Wow! And he's able to convince wow. them to come because of the value he adds to their experience and his ability to develop. They win a lot of games and they develop a lot of NFL players. Sure. And that's why guys who are very talented still choose to come there and wait their turn. What about from the perspective of, you know, setting the, the staff around you perspective? Um, what have you seen from the best uh, head coaches or leaders of their teams in terms of finding and, and getting in place the right people around them? The best head coaches, in my experience, are the one who hire, ones who hired talented people to run the, help run the team and then 
allows them to coach. He, he they don't micromanage. All the good coaches, the head coaches, the good head coaches really don't coach the players. They coach the coaches, who in turn the assistant coaches who coach the players. The elite head coaches. When they have, they get most of their stuff done in the staff meeting, and they allow the assistants to do the nuts and bolts. And but the key is you gotta, you gotta have an eye for talented people and how sure. to recognize how they fit in your organization, and to, uh, and I mean you got to coach up your coaches. Sure, and, and not everybody can do that. And they rely also on their network, right? I mean a lot of these guys have moved between schools, so I mean they they have learned. The types of people that are out there that could be potentially supporting their program. Yeah, and and let's take let's again Nick Saban as an example. He has a very close relationship uh, with Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots, and so when he was when Saban was looking around for a new offensive coordinator, you know Belichick he had a conversation with Belichick, and Belichick says, "My, I've got a guy who's ready for that job." And, wow. that, and that's why Nick Saban hired him. It's great to have those kind of people to go to. Um, what about uh, programs that have not worked or programs where he, you've met the coach? And I can think of one, actually, we met um, a couple of years ago but I will, that will go unnamed mm-hmm. that you meet him and or and or his staff and or understand the approach. And you just go, I don't think this is going to go very well. Right. What, what, what have been some of those indicators? Well, inevitably, the coaches that struggle have a tough time implementing discipline across the board. And, and discipline comes in all kinds of forms. It's not just making a guy run stadium steps at 6 o'clock in the morning. It's it's personal discipline. It's going to class. I mean, <laughs> I love I – love <laughs> Small the, things, right? <laughs> I, love, I love the story that Bill Curry always tells us uh, when he, he didn't like chemistry at 8 a.m., and then after some after some tough love from Bobby Dodd and Coach <laughs> Dick Inman, uh, after some after some tough love there, Coach Curry decided that he really liked chemistry at eight o'clock in the <laughs> morning. No so, problem getting so, to the but, but you're doing it. The players have to believe that you're doing it because you care about them. Ray Goff, when he was at Georgia, once told me he said the toughest thing to convince players of, and you have to do it to be a coach is you have to believe, they have to believe that you care about them beyond what they can contribute to you on the football field and therefore help you keep your job. They have to believe that you care about them as a person and that when you discipline them, you discipline them not because you're mad at them, you discipline them for because you care about them. Sure. And you believe that's the best way, discipline is the best way for them to reach their potential. Wow, so believing in the total person. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, Dr. Rice. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> to quote Dr. Rice. Any predictions for this fall? Well, I spoke to a group the other day, and I gave them my first set of predictions, and I'll, I'll give it to you now. I've got uh, this year the semifinals sure. are in the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl. We're back to that rotation. Uh, I believe that uh, I've got Alabama as the number one seed. I believe Alabama will beat Florida State in the opener at the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yep. Florida State will not lose again, okay? They'll run the table. They'll win the ACC. Florida State, Alabama will win the SEC. They will have a rematch in the Sugar Bowl in the playoffs. <laughs> Round two. All right. Wow. On the other side, I've got Ohio State winning the Big Ten. Okay. I've got Washington winning the Pac-12. I have them playing in your traditional Rose Bowl game sure. uh, out of there. I got Ohio State winning in Pasadena. I got Alabama winning in the Sugar Bowl in the rematch with Florida State. And then Alabama and uh, Ohio State playing for the national championship. What about Michigan? 
I mean, Harbaugh. I I think Jim Harbaugh is going to build a nice program there, but I'm not. I am not on the Coach Khaki Pants <laughs> bandwagon until he actually beats somebody. Oh, so. that's great. Well, and and so you know, I'm a Georgia Tech guy for those on the uh, listening to the podcast, and of course, Tony's a UGA guy, so there's no bias here <laughs> for our teams. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So last but not least, let's talk about the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year Award. Yep. That's a, a board we're on. Um, we've had a really great experience being a part of that award and just the overall program. But why don't you share? Just some of the backstory on the award and and um, and kind of what it's about. Well, I got involved with the the Bobby Dodd Award many many years ago. They 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 came to me and said, "Would you consider sitting on our board?" And I'm saying, I said, "You guys do know I went to Georgia, right?" right? <laughs> and there <laughs> was yeah. a bunch of Georgia Tech guys. Right? Said, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, but you know what? We like you anyway, so we kind of like you to do it and to to be associated with all the people in that room. Who it's clear that they're doing some special things. They they obviously the the, the, one of the great purposes is to keep alive the the memory and the legacy of of Coach Bobby Dodd, which I think is a very, very, very worthwhile thing, and to recognize with the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year Award to recognize the Dodd Award to recognize people who are not only successful on the field, but as Coach as Doctor Rice would say, coach the total person. Sure, it's 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 about academics. It's about community services. About doing things the right way. And to to seek out these kind of people and recognize them. And when you look at the list of the Dodd Award winners, it's it's a very impressive list of uh, people. And so I've been I've been honored to be a part of it, and I look forward to it every year when we meet and you know have this incredible list of qualified people, sure, who any of whom could win the award, and then they really sort of noodle it out and discuss it, and it's uh, and then to be able to go on to campus and present the award, which is a really neat deal. Because it's the only it's the only war that does that, and so it's been it's been very very gratifying to an old Georgia boy. Yeah, it's a really incredible experience, um, you know, going and presenting that award because it really is meaningful beyond just wins and losses. And I think what's interesting is when you start talking to the coaches as they're, you know, when they're getting the award, is to hear the things they are involved with in the community and how they've really mm-hmm. thought about their players beyond you know just what happens on Saturday, as you were talking about earlier. And um, so it's just been it, what's interesting. You mentioned those meetings. And there's no doubt that those are the most exciting means of the year. We're trying to figure out who's going to get it because there's a lot of qualified candidates. Yeah, and when we finally do get to a consensus, which is sometimes a consensus is not easily achieved, but we do, uh, but we do get there, and we, and we always have a good winner. No doubt. Well, um, last but not least, where can our listening audience find you and, and read more from you and hear more from you? Well, obviously, I'm doing the SEC Network, which is what I've done. This is my fourth year there, and so I'll be on television from time to time during the season. Uh, my writing home now is my website. Something I've tried to, something I wanted to launch for a couple of years now. Got that done. Uh, TonyBarnhart.com, and we'll, uh, yeah, I'm going to probably take a week here and sort of lay low and. And then crank it up at the end of July when uh, preseason practice starts. Well, that's awesome. Well, I am so excited for some fall Saturdays in the South. And, Tony, thank you for joining us today. All right, Justin, good deal. For more information on today's topic or to access additional leadership content, tools, and resources, check out contenderbrands.com. Also, you can download other ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store and Google Play Store. And remember, every winner started as a contender.